0: I love that you can move them easily. They make my workspaces much more flexible.
1: I like how quiet they are. I can sit inside and feel all calm, but still feel part of what's going on around me.
0: I like what they cost. They're talking about Nook, the award-winning, wellness-certified family of pods, booths, and shelters which make a workplace more flexible and more inclusive. Go to nookpod.com to find out more.
1: Welcome back to the Work Bowl podcast, where we chat with the leaders in commercial real estate to answer all questions, space as a service. This podcast is for anyone involved in commercial real estate in any way. If you're an investor, fund manager, developer, property manager, agent, or broker, be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. I'm your host, Caleb Parker, and this is episode six of season six, sponsored by TSK. Before we dive in, I got to give a shout out to my Newflex peeps, especially our head of marketing, Ruth Collier, who just launched a brand spanking new website. Head to newflex.com to see how we're helping office investors, owners, and landlords support hybrid working by delivering space as a service in their assets across our white label and branded solutions, including Bold. Thank you for putting up with my quick self promo. Now to introduce the episode. After sparring for the last couple of years on LinkedIn and Twitter with the publisher of Workplace Insight, Mark Eltringham, I decided to invite him onto the podcast to continue our debate on how the future of work may impact the future of commercial real estate. I use the word sparring for dramatic effect. I would actually consider respectful discourse to be a better label for our back and forth on social media. This episode is not scripted and is mostly a continuation of our online chats and conversation format for you to listen in on. Mark shares some interesting insights on company culture and flexible working and tells us his best example of a hybrid workplace. Note, he loves our headline sponsor, TSK, but no, we did not plant a plug for them during the quickfire round. You'll see what I'm talking about when you get there. The key takeaway for this episode is that the conversation on the future of work is constantly changing and updating, but the bottom line is companies and commercial real estate need to update their cultures in line with this evolution. As always, if you have any questions or feedback or topics you will covered, cover, hit me up on Twitter. I'm at Caleb underscore Parker or DM me on LinkedIn. Speaking of our headline sponsor, TSK, since we talk about hybrid workplaces in this episode, I got to give them a shout out for a video I just watched on the brand new 71,000 square foot hybrid workplace they've created for insurance, risk, and commercial law firm, BLM. Pre-pandemic, BLM Law were already planning on becoming a paper-light organization, but the pandemic sped up their digital strategy. This helped them accelerate processes, become more sustainable, and allow their team to connect and communicate from anywhere. Imagine that. They wanted to adopt a more flexible approach to work and their workplace. Enter TSK.
0: When you're bringing several sites together, multiple sites together, there's always a risk that, you know, some may feel inclusive,
1: some may feel excluded. But I think what we created was somewhere that they all felt that they could come together and it really did stand out as a BLM home for them. And I think it was really important that we gave them the right settings and the right tools to enable them to
0: encourage that kind of transition that they were going through. The biggest impact for me and the team, I think is the whole range of different spaces there are to work, different places to work, depending on what it is we're trying to do at the time. I think that's really strong, really powerful and something we simply haven't had before.
1: I highly recommend you watch this video. It shows how TSK helped BLM move away from their traditional style offices and create a more agile and collaborative environment for their 600 plus Manchester, England based team. The video is on the TSK website and we've put a link to it in the show notes below. Now, Jeff, let's kick it. Welcome back to the Workboard Podcast. And today I'm joined by Mark Eltringham. Mark is the publisher of Workplace Insight at N Magazine. Workplace Insight is the UK's most widely read publication dedicated to the management of workplaces, offering a definitive source of daily ideas, comment, news, and information. In Magazine was launched in 2020 to offer a new way of talking about the physical office and the digital and cultural aspects of work. We've put links in the show notes below so you can check them out. They publish some very good, often thought-provoking content. And I'm proud to say, Bold got some coverage when we first launched our pilot space a couple years ago. And there was even a cheeky mention of the WorkBold podcast in recent times. Thank you for that. Mark has worked in the office design and management sector, marketing professional, editor, and consultant. And on a personal front, he's a fellow at the Royal Society of Arts. He's a Stoke City supporter, which we won't hold against him. He's a dad and a whippet owner, which makes him a dad twice. You might know him as the self-described skeptical optimist. He can often be found on LinkedIn and Twitter debating with the likes of Anthony Slumbers, Chris Early, Neil Usher, Chris Kane, Dave Cairns over in Canada, and many others, including yours truly, especially when we get our heads too far in the clouds. As this season is entitled Plus, not Versus, I thought it would be fun to invite Mark for a chat. As I've learned, he tends to believe in the plus as well. Welcome to the Work podcast, Mark.
0: Hi. Hey,
1: Mark. Great to have you here. Look, I don't have any scripted questions. This is probably the first time that I've done this, but I thought maybe we could just riff for about 25 minutes on the future of work and offices. Is that okay with you?
0: Absolutely. Perfect.
1: Okay. So why don't we start off with your perspective on the changes in how we're working today and what the effect this is going to have on the workplace and the office industry?
0: Well, it's obviously interesting times, isn't it? I mean, I the conclusion I've come to after wrestling with it for quite some time, because so I've been in the industry for 30 years, so a lot of the subjects we're talking about are very, very familiar, as, as they are for a lot of people who've been around for a while. But at the same time, it's not. There's something different about it. And the way that I kind of frame it now is I'm trying to unpick what is a response to our current circumstances, so what you might consider to be short-term responses to that, and what is actually a long-term change. And my perspective on the long term stuff is it's based on the sort of experience of, of seeing things over a period of time is that there's not much about it that's new per se but at the same time i think you're looking at something that's happening at scale rather than with certain parts of the market so there's going to be a shift that will affect everybody where i think typically issues about flexible working for example have tended to sort of be restricted both geographically and in terms of the demographics and the seniority of the people affected and based on certain sectors and so on. And I think we're actually going to see a shift now that affects everybody. I think that's interesting. It's tried to work out where we are with those longer-term changes. And I would have to admit that I don't know, and I'm not really sure that many other people know either.
1: Yeah, I think my view on this is that just anecdotally, my own personal circumstances, I've been working the same way the last 18, 24 months as I was working the previous decade before. So for me, there's not a big change. I think the big change is that now everybody's been exposed to that way of working, not just for a couple of weeks, but for a long period of time. And on the back of that, certainly things become a habit and people get used to doing things a certain way. And there's a lot of conveniences out of it for many people and there's a lot of friction for others. So it's just about understanding like, well, okay, well, what does that mean? How can the workplace now accommodate everyone instead of being a white box that everybody has to fit, fit into?
0: Well, I think that's it. I mean, I think one of the problems with office design over a long period of time is that it's been largely, I mean, I don't think it's bad, but it's mediocre. You know, and I think that comes out when you see sort of leaseman data on these things is, you know, as, as Tim Oldman of leaseman is always fond of saying, you know, if your office, which is supposedly a dedicated workplace offers a worse experience than somebody's bedroom or kitchen, then you're getting your business model wrong. And I think that's a very, very interesting perspective. I think the data's backing that up. And my own view on a lot of this is that what it's exposed really is that kind of mismatch between what people need and, and what's being offered to them. And not just in terms of physical space, but in terms of working cultures as well. If you dig into our archives, there's obviously a number of years of those, you can see that people have always hated commuting, for example, hated it, always been the worst part of their day. Going to the same place at the same time every day just doesn't make any sense and, and never really has, but what that has been laid bare by what has happened over the past sort of couple of years. And it used to be a moat, I think. And now it's actually something that firms are going to have to do something about. And I think that's perhaps one of the underlying changes that we're going to have to address.
1: Well, it's like you say, people haven't like commuting for all this time and now we're used to not commuting. But you've got certain leaders in both commercial real estate and leadership in companies saying we need to get back into the office. Everybody needs to come back. Everybody needs to come back. But we're seeing a lot of pushback Well,
0: well, I think some of them might be right. I mean, this is where I always sort of come across with the online conversation you mentioned. You're thinking, I don't know. And often the people who are very, very certain about these things make assumptions. They do understand everybody's business. And I don't because I just think the people who are saying that could be right about specific organizations or they could be right now but be wrong in two years time. And I don't make that assumption. I'd like to know, you know, more about their business and why they're saying that. I mean, some of it is just old oh, people wanting not to change things. I, you know, I get that, but I don't know which are those people either.
1: Well, do you not think that like, there's certain people within the industry that get their remuneration, their income is based on people signing long-term leases. And if people are reducing their footprints and signing more flexible, you know, office terms, then yeah, the well, income comes that. down. Well,
0: there obviously is that, you know, I think there are commercial interests always at play with these things. But equally, as I point out, you know, there are commercial interests on the other side of this as well. The tech firms have a vested interest in a different perspective on this. And one thing that I have occasionally pointed out, I mean, I don't do as much discussion online as I was perhaps maybe a year ago, is that you've got the same critical thinking skills to everybody's claims. Just hold them up to the light and just see what happens. So, I think that's definitely true with property firms wanting people to sign long term leases. But equally, without naming names, there are certain tech firms and, and new entrants who are pushing the sort of mirror image of that. They do the Bizarro version of it,
1: and you have to be aware of both. I'm going to name some names and uh, myself. I mean, Chris Hurd over at First Base, I mean, he, he was on the podcast, but his content on social media is all about remote, go remote, go remote. And, you know, I get yeah. he's got a narrative yeah. to sell, of course, just like the commercial real estate guys are saying, get back to the office because they have a, a certain narrative that, that they want to sell. And this is one of the things I appreciate about you, Mark, is sort of try to bring people back to the middle and, you know, you call them out. Uh, you've called me out a couple of times, of course. And and that's okay. That's okay. I, I think there's the truth lies a little bit in the middle and yeah. we on, on each side. But I think my biggest I'll say pet peeve in the conversation that happens is that the old way of doing things was pretty static and it was one way. And considering that everybody's different, I mean, me and you are different, everyone's different, that shouldn't company culture and then therefore commercial real estate supporting companies be more cognizant that everyone's different and try to support all the use cases.
0: Yeah, well, absolutely. But that again, is one of those things that's always been the case, you know, and it's one of the problems I think with say office design over, over the past, and perhaps not office design. I mean, I've long had a, a beer in my bonnet about the British council for offices specification guide, which tries to set space standards for people. And those haven't really been applicable for a number of years now, predating all of this, if you are saying, you know, 10.5 square meters per person, you know, that immediately puts you in a box. Literally, you know, you're saying, okay, well, this is what we need to provide people. And you think, well, you haven't bothered to look at what people actually need before saying that. That's just perhaps an average over the entire market. And, you know, as we know, you know, averages often mask as much as they reveal. And I think there are problems with that embedded in the organizations that need to be shaken up. But that, like I said, predates all of this. Having said all of that, I've been baffled sometimes, and I know this is one of the conversations we've had with the obsession that we've developed over the past couple of years with deciding how many days people need to be in an office. So, hybrid working, in one definition, I know it's used interchangeably with flexible working, but in one definition, it also determines this idea of three days in the office, two at home, which people have got hung up on. And I'm not convinced, you know, and I'm prepared to be admit when I'm wrong about this that that is a different mindset in a meaningful way to the idea of having space standards, as you would find in the BCO specification guide. I think it's that same rigid thing of saying, okay, well, this is what you need without exploring what people actually want.
1: So are you saying that there shouldn't be any set certain number of days? It should be just up in the air?
0: Well, I, I think, you do. again, you know, I mean, this is the problem, isn't it? I don't know. I mean, overall, I would say flexibility is better than that rigid idea of hybrid working. But at the same time, it might well be. That, you know, for certain organizations, it's exactly the right thing to do. And it might be the right thing for organizations to be completely virtual, as Chris Hurd, for example, would argue, or it might be that, you know, some organizations need to be completely in the office. And for most organizations, I'm guessing that actually what they need to provide is a culture that allows all of those different models to apply to different people and and based on things like personality, age, job function, and so on and so forth that we've discussed. A lot of the conversation has been dominated by people like me sort of middle-aged men in an established career with a house and some space to work from home. And, you know, I know this has been pointed out before, but nevertheless, I think the this conversation was distorted by that dominance early on and it continues. And those are also the people, I mean, I saw, I can't remember it was some public sector Mandarin from the UK saying that she liked it because it gave her more time on her Peloton bike. And I also saw somebody from the city interviewed in the Times early on saying, oh, you know, he liked it because at five o'clock, rather than being on a train out of Canary Wharf, he could be in his swimming pool. You think, well, this is great for these people, but how typical is their experience of this kind of thing? And the answer is that it's atypical. And to come back to your point, firms need to work out what people want and allow themselves flexibility and agility to, to deliver that for them.
1: Well, I think you hit the nail on the head there. And, you know, I agree wholeheartedly. That it's all about the company culture and creating a culture that empowers your people to make that choice for themselves and now obviously there should be some guidelines in place to make sure teams get together when they need to and have the support they need. but you know I think if we look at back at the CBRE research that came out just recently eighty seven percent of large companies with ten thousand employees or more are going to be adopting hybrid working. What does that mean? We don't know, but if they have a culture that enables choice, how can the workplace, how can the office industry support that?
0: Well, well, I think that's exactly right. And it does come back to culture and it did before all of this as well. It was very obvious that the firms that were best able to adapt when things changed in spring of 2020 were the ones with a good working culture.
1: But sorry, I want to interrupt you there because before the pandemic kicked off, the companies that had cultures that enabled choice and flexibility were few and far between, but the bad culture that existed that the office was able to prop up because of private offices versus open plan and all this stuff that was a patriarchal sort of culture was hidden and people just had to deal with it but then because of the pandemic people working from home and getting out of that environment they don't want to go back now so how can we in the industry in the commercial real estate industry support these healthy cultures
0: well i think that everything comes back to culture i think You know, office design was always overplayed as a solution to cultural problems, or we're talking, we need to come up with a term, don't we, like BC and AD, so, you know, before last spring, it was always overplayed as something that could change people's experience. But we've known for nearly a hundred years now that actually it is people's relationships with each other that define the quality of their working life and their working days. So, you know, to put it simply, you could give people a crappy office, but if they like their colleagues, they enjoy their job and they're treated well then the office is an irrelevance in many ways. You know, it's obviously better to have a nice office with all of those things, but you know, the important thing isn't getting the office right. Because vice versa, you know, if you hate your colleagues, you know, you, you, you can't stand your job or your boss and, and stuff like that, having a nice office isn't really going to change your working day very much. We've got this fixation with place and it's important, right? First of all, where people work and the times they work and stuff like that is important as part of their lives and their daily routines. But what really makes a difference isn't the place, it's the culture. I mean, you saw that guy recently who laid off, is it 900 people on a Zoom? call. For Zoom, yeah, I saw that. That's because you've got a crappy culture, not because he, they're working from home. That's just, you know, that's irrelevant. Where they work is irrelevant to having somebody like that in charge of the organization. And, you know, we've seen this upsurge in patriarchal models of supervision. I'm not sure whether people are more or less supervised. I, I saw somebody on Twitter and I can't remember who it was. I'm, I'm not deliberately sort of avoiding identifying them. Gave a list of, I think, 10 tips or so about how to create a cohesive working culture for remote workers. And the list of things was just unbelievable, like mandatory fun days, like people having to share details of their private lives with each other. There was going to be a database of in-jokes for new starters. And also what was the other thing that really got to me? Struggle sessions. So you would sit there with 10 colleagues who would talk about you as if you weren't there. You look at stuff like that and you're thinking, People used to worry about the open plan office and the lack of privacy, and now they've got organizations actually suggesting that they really need to sort of open up their lives to what may be strangers, you know, they might not mind doing all these things with people they're close to at work, you know, the whole organization. I don't know. I don't think that the patriarchal aspects of working culture are necessarily solved by changing the place of work. The first priority should be to get the culture right and then to have, you know, times and places of work that apply to that culture. And overall, people will be better off working flexibly, I think, than with the firm trying to determine everything for them, including their their interactions with each other. You know, I think, um, sorry, I I know I'm sort of moving around on different subjects now, but I think one of the weaknesses with the idea that, you know, you can replace all interactions with technology is that the firm needs to understand what all the interactions were. And I don't see that. I mean, I think certain interactions are better done technologically and some aren't did you see the piece that came out from microsoft recently which was a study of 60,000 workers and backing up the idea that the problem isn't the sort of day-to-day interactions people have with each other but the sort of loose ties that they have with people they don't really know
1: no i didn't see that i'll send you a link send send it we'll put it in the link to it in the show notes yeah sure
0: and it backs up some of the work of a guy called ben Weber, who's um xmit he's now got his own firm called Humanoids. Ben, I think is one of the interesting people we interviewed him in the last issue of the magazine, in fact, because although he's got a vested interest in the technological solutions to remote work, he's also a a sort of researcher and an academic. So he's realistic about the fact that actually you've got to be careful about what might go missing when you do these things. And I think that's the really tricky thing. And again, I'm not offering solutions to these things because I don't have them, but what I am saying is that things are very, very complicated. And there is a possibility that if you do go fully remote, that certain parts of the business might go missing. And that again, to caveat that, probably not right for every organization. And a lot of organizations will be better off fully remote, but people need to treat this kind of stuff very, very carefully before they make decisions about it.
1: All nature of this season is called plus, not versus, because the conversation has been fully remote or return to office. And to me, if we're talking about culture and giving people flexibility and empowering team members to, impromptu get together as they need to it might not be impromptu they might obviously plan it i do a lot of planning myself but to me it's like if you have all these options now plus 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 well then any culture can fit into that when you have a lots of tools in your toolbox you just pick yeah. the tool for the day and that's to me the, my biggest thing in this whole conversation is like why would you limit yourself why don't you say you're remote first you can accommodate you know you've got all the cloud-based software systems you can connect from anywhere But give people the environments that they need. You know, you might have a team that needs to get together a couple of times a week. You might have a team that wants to get together every day. And you might have other people that once a month. And that's fine. We should be able to support any of those.
0: Exactly that. And I think the flexibility for most organizations is going to be the the thing that will make a difference for. I mean, it's one of the frustrations with this sort of 3v2, the twat thing, as we call it, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays, is you need to be convinced that you've got the right people in on the right days. And I don't know how many firms can actually make that decision with any sort of degree of service. But
1: does the firm need to make that decision? Can't the the teams make that themselves? Well, that would would be ideal.
0: But, you know, again, that comes to working culture, doesn't it? Is you trust the people, you know, and you you develop the management system. So you trust people to find their own way. I mean, as you said, I mean, my frustration with it, which took a year to actually come out, which you may remember on social media. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was just, as you described, home the office, which is best. And I just thought, it's a daft question. You know, it's why ask this question? Why can't you say, well, you know, it's not A or B, it's A or B or C or D or E or F or G okay. or H, you well, know,
1: or A plus B plus C plus D.
0: Yeah, exactly. You know, whatever combination works for you is fine. That I hope is going to be the message that will eventually come out of this. Is I've listened in a, to a number of occupiers in recent months talking about their plans. They've all got plans, you know, they obviously change on a regular basis, but they're also aware of the fact that actually whatever they plan, it's liable to change because like everybody else, they're still working out, which is a way for us to get through this, which is the future direction of the firm for 10 or 20 years or more, you know, and those are different questions. And I think we already have a number of the answers to that. And and the main one is, you know, let's just try and seize this as an opportunity to make people's working lives better rather than replacing one form of rigidity with another. And I I kind of think that's my frustration with the conversation. You're trying to sort of frame it as a choice which doesn't need to be made.
1: Yeah, I think you're right. I'm a big believer that what companies should be focused on when it comes to the conversation around culture is not how many days or, you know, who gets together. It's more, okay, am I being authentic with the impact I'm trying to make on the world and I'm going to be transparent with that mission and I'm going to attract talent. I'm going to attract team members to come on who are going to join me in that mission. Because then if they're passionate about making the same impact on the world as I am, then I can trust that when they're working from home or the cafe or wherever, they're going to get their stuff done and they're going to meet up with their team members when they need to. We don't have any set days in my company and I'm traveling around, I'm connecting on teams and I'm connecting with the right people for what I need to do my job. We're all connecting without no authority about it. We're, We're just doing it. It's an
0: entrepreneurial mindset, isn't it? You know, it always comes back to issues of trust and stuff like that. And also an awareness of the way people are and how the organization functions and stuff like that. I think that will be the first step is for us to work out how that goes.
1: Well, look, this has been fun and I think we could probably go on forever. And this conversation hasn't been meant to necessarily provide solid answers for people, but I wanted to bring you on because I know that the conversation can get polarized and you've been very good to bring it back. Away from the different sides. And I wanted to have that conversation with you because I think we should all be doing that. I'll move into the quick fire round now. Just a couple quick questions, and I'm going to change it up slightly to what people are used to. My first question okay. for you you know, considering you guys have Workplace Insight, and I've often found myself being like, wow, I'm really diving into this article here. But I'm curious, in addition to Workplace Insight, your own publication, mm-hmm. who is your go to for the latest Workplace Insight?
0: Oh, my goodness. I try to read broadly, but I think in terms of sort of daily stuff, I find that by curating social media, I think that's that's where I learn most. Yeah, so I think with certain LinkedIn groups, for example, and certain people on LinkedIn, I mean everybody's their own editor these days, aren't they? I mean, they used to be, and I, I wouldn't even claim this for us now. They used to be sort of single sources of information for industries. i don't, I don't think that works now. but yeah, I think that's it. it.'s It's curating my own content with uh, social media, but also with Google Alerts on certain subjects. I mean, it's uh, you know, a bit hit and miss. But nevertheless, you do stumble across things. What I find interesting is the way that when certain people kind of frame ideas, I mean, Anthony Slumbers, who you mentioned before, always love reading his stuff. Yeah. Don't always agree with it, but you know, that's a good thing. You know, you, you have to listen to people you don't agree with. You know, I think that's important so that your own thinking is challenged. But Anthony, Neil Usher, Jem Dale, Julia Hobsbawm, she works in HR. So she's, she's very good on on applying an HR perspective to this. Julia Hobsbaum, who's got a new book out called The Nowhere Office, which is very good, and she's always very, very interesting on these kinds of things. You know, I could go on. I've got a list on my Twitter profile of about 60 or 70 people who I kind of, um, you know, look to. And most of the time, you know, you don't realize what they're going to publish next, you know, but it's it's interesting to stumble across it sometimes. I listen to your podcast. I listen to Mike Petruski's podcast um, over in the States. tend to listen to The Economist and Intelligence Squared things like that so yeah it's interesting to get those i'm not a big fan of management today and Inc. and forbes and, and people like that you know it's more people who are closer to the market i think
1: yep no i i appreciate that i i do the same thing and and i think you have a profound statement in that is you have to also listen to people that you disagree with thank you for sharing that my next question mark is what is the best example that you've seen recently we talk about hybrid now what is the best example of a hybrid workplace that you've seen or maybe that you guys have covered. Uh, maybe you've covered it already.
0: By hybrid, do you mean a sort of flexible, agile workspace?
1: I, I would think a workspace or a workplace that can accommodate the choice that we've been talking about today.
0: That's tough because I'm not sure that anybody's really back in the swing of it yet. I mean, in recent years, the Sky office in West London was very good as an exemplar of that kind of flexible, sort of agile, activity-based working space. But, I mean, we've done the Microsoft Experience Center as a case study in the magazine. We've done case studies in Moscow, I think it was SpareBank, that sort of highlight these things. So they appear on the surface to deliver this kind of experience, but, you know, without delving into the working culture and asking people on the ground, I think mm-hmm. you really know. Yeah. So, yeah, just on that level, I think they, they seem to be pretty good.
1: Yeah, I know. I think you're right that everybody's you know, sort of, ex- a lot of people are exploring right now and, and testing. Uh, recently, um, I was watching TSK out in Manchester. They yeah. published a short film about, one of their recent projects in Leeds for the gaming company, Flutter yeah. Entertainment. And I thought that was a pretty cool hybrid workplace for, for their people. Well,
0: they're, I mean, TSK are a good example of the kind of firms that will shape this as well. I mean, they've got Dan Pelling who works there. You, you, you may know, but they work very closely with Leesman and with some of the names that we've mentioned today to understand the market. So they're not just, um, sorry, this isn't an advert for TSK. We don't do any work with them. <laughs> oh. Go on, go on. Well, I just think because their approach is knowledge-based, they bring ideas to it that, you know, they're, so they're not just doing a sort of cookie cutter designed for organizations. So I think they will deliver something extra. They will listen and they will perhaps suggest ideas that are, they don't reflect their invested vested interests in, in certain things. So we like them and they do some great events and their reports are very good. But anyway, enough of that.
1: We actually work with TSK as well, and I've been impressed with them for the last couple of years. In full transparency, you know, in my listening, they are a headline sponsor of this podcast, but they, oh, right, okay. this wasn't planted. Was, <laughs> that was yeah, uh, uh, kind of a coincidence. Well, but,
0: all it means is you've chosen a good as a good partner for this podcast. You know, yeah, name. yeah. I've known Dan Pilling since before all of these things happened, but also before he joined TSK as well. So I'm aware, that, you know, he's one of the people that brings knowledge into these conversations that makes them interesting.
1: Yeah. All right. So I have a, I have the last question for you and it, it's not really work related at all, but I'm curious, where is your favorite holiday destination?
0: Yeah. Anywhere right now. Do you know when you get the Google maps report on where you've been that got very tragic in March of last year, I remember, but you know, well, it's just like, you know, you go, you walk the dog, you go and visit somebody on their doorstep and then you go shopping, you know, that's basically it. You know, there's no flights to anywhere interesting. My favorite destination is probably somewhere in Greece. I like Greek people. I like Greek food. I like light, especially on the Greek islands, you know, not just sunshine, you know, the way the light works over there. So, yeah, I'd say Greece. Somewhere like Cephalonia, maybe, or um, somewhere like that.
1: I like any place that has water and rocks and, you know, you can jump in and it's obviously sun. so Greece is a great spot anywhere up north from greece of the adriatic it's fantastic for me
0: yeah well we were planning to go to croatia last year you know in 2020 you know but that, obviously that fell through and i'd never been but i've always heard how fantastic it is there as well so you know hopefully we can do that next year
1: next year that's what we keep saying well mark we're gonna put your social media links in the show notes below but anybody listening now connect with mark on linkedin or on twitter it's at mark eltro on twitter yeah really appreciate you having the chat with me and you know keep keeping us honest on social. <laughs> and bring our heads out the clouds when we need to be.
0: I haven't argued with anybody in months now. So, you know, that's either a good sign of me giving up or, you know, just uh, the conversation getting better.
1: Well, hopefully the latter. Don't give up. Never give up. And if you have to have some CBD oil, (laughs) then no problem too. (laughs) Mark, thank you very much. Everybody listening today, thank you for tuning in. And until next time, take care of yourself. Thank you for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast. And remember, fortune favors the bold. Drum roll, please. P.S. If you want to find out about future proofing your portfolio, head over to newflex.com. Making a high quality podcast like this takes a lot of work. That's a fact. But not when you hire Copus. With our white glove experience, we handle everything for you. From guest outreach all the way through to publishing and promotion, we handle it all. You show up to hold great interviews and build relationships with your guests and we take care of everything else. Podcasting is not just about the audience. Every podcast interview is the start of a new relationship. With a weekly podcast, you would build relationships with 52 ideal partners or prospects through your podcast interviews over the next 12 months. Do you believe that 52 new relationships would grow your business? We do. Contact Jason at copuskopus.com and let's talk.